nice strong wind to come through and take it to another place. So uh, we will be meeting at Dinia Park, which is just right over here behind uh, the neighborhood at 5. It's, we're doing it 6 is the service time, but somebody should get around there about 5 and start early. Um, but if we don't, if it begins to rain, um, we will announce that and have it. We're still going to have a, a time of fellowship here in the church. So either way, we're going to have fellowship tonight uh, and potluck and just to get, get to know each other and have a good time together. So we want to invite all of you back for that. Uh, you might, might not know everything about the church or not know everybody, so come back and, and just be a part of that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It's one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible, one of the most famous questions in the Bible. Jesus is coming into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And I want to just stop there for a second before I read the rest because this, this is important to know sometimes when you read the word and you see a story and you see a city name, it's not just a coincidence that they put the name in there. Uh, there's a reason why God mentioned the place because the place represents something. You know, when you tell someone where you're from you don't, you, or who you are, you say, you know, I'm so-and-so and I'm from. And once you say where you're from, how many know there's a connection to the city, the state, the place that you say? A lot of times you can say I'm from a place and immediately uh, if I said I'm from San Antonio, which I'm not. But if I said I'm from San Antonio, what would you immediately think of if I said that? SeaWorld. Okay, that's a good one. Amen. What else? I was thinking a little more historical, but that'll work. The Alamo. All right. Okay, so yeah, I like SeaWorld though. SeaWorld's awesome. Hey, being honest, man, whatever comes to your mind first. I might, I might have said something about food. But something comes in from that name, and that city's known for stuff. Caesarea Philippi was known for pagan worship, known for pagan gods. And so when Jesus is saying this question, we're going to see here in a second, he's not just asking a question, he's asking a question in a place where. They are very scared. They're very afraid. If you've ever gone to a place that you don't, you know, if you've ever visited or, or gone to another country especially, it's scary to go into an element that is not yours. Because you don't know the culture. You don't know the language. You don't know what's going to happen. That was one of the scariest things that ever happened to me when I went to the Congo. It's a beautiful country, beautiful people. But I heard nothing but stories of how dangerous it was to go through the airport. So the entire 50 hours I was on a plane to get over there, it's a little bit of exaggeration, but not a lot. I was scared. I'm thinking, God, am I going to get stuck in the Congo? Is this the last time I'm going to leave the United States? I don't, what's going to happen? Am I going to get stopped? Because they told you, they told me you can get stopped in the airport. And they can ask you whatever they want. They can ask you, and obviously this isn't the same for the locals. This is in any country this can happen. But they say, you know, stop you. They'll ask you for money. They'll, they'll de they can detain you. They can do all these different things. So when you're going into a place that's unknown, it's kind of out of your element, and it's kind of scary. Anybody ever been in that situation? Three? Okay. It, has anybody ever been? Are y'all here? All right. Just making sure. Pinch yourself. Say, wake up. Amen. So, if maybe you wasn't another country, but you've gone into an element of, of, of un, the unknown. That's where they're at. They're in this place where they don't know the people. Jesus is taking them. The reason they're there is he's taking them away from everybody because he does miracles. And people like miracles. And so when he was really trying to get his disciples alone so he could teach them, he had to find creative places. 
because he was known as the miracle man. He was known as the supernatural guy. He was known as the man who did things that nobody else could do. They didn't really know who he was, but they knew he did miracles. So anytime he was walking around, people would flock to him. Groups would, would attract. He didn't have to, you know, pass out flyers. He didn't have to go out and, and get a megaphone and say, I'm coming. He just walked and did miracles, and people followed him. And it was very hard for him to find rest. So they had gone to Caesarea Philippi. They had actually gone an out-of-the-way route to get out of the heat and the humidity and gone just searching for a place that he could get along with them. And, and it, But it wasn't an accident that he took them to Caesarea Philippi because he wanted them to be in an element that was not their own. He wanted them to think about their lives. He wanted them to uh, check themselves and, and ask you know, how, how are things going in your life? So how many are seeing the setting here? They're out of their element, and they're not just in another city, but they're in a place of deep, deep paganism, deep mythology. The Greek gods and all the things that we hear about, they're in that place where everything, this is another thing that happens a lot of times in, in other countries, everything, a tree, a river, a rock, means something. It, it, there's a symbol there. There's, there's, a, there's something that happened there. And so there's a lot of things going on here as we read this. So it says, Jesus came, verse 13, to Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they begin to answer, and he says this profound question that I want you to really think about. Don't just be here this morning or the next few weeks. Really think about this question. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, before we keep reading, I just want you to just stop there for a second. Just, just begin to ask yourself, who do I say Jesus is? And not only who do I say Jesus is, who do I believe Jesus is? Who do I think Jesus is? What, when I hear the word Jesus, when I think about the word Jesus, what are the thoughts come into my mind? What are the feelings that I have? I'm not talking about what somebody else says or what somebody else thinks. I'm asking you what you think. Peter said, okay, I, I, I hear that some say I'm this and some say I'm that. And, and don't, don't we, especially if we came from any kind of religious background, don't we have a custom of saying what everybody else says? We have a way of, of, of preaching the Jesus that somebody else knows. And I'm always kind of trying to, to, to challenge you this morning to understand that God does not want to be the God to you of somebody else. He wants to be your God. He wants to be a personal God. He is an intimate God. He is a personal God, but we have to make him that. We have to understand who he is. We have to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus to me? So I want you to really think about that. And I'm going to give you some examples this morning of who Jesus is to me, but I want to finish the text. So Simon Peter answers and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And I, and I know I've preached this 
in the last few months before I thought about this for Easter. But I, I just love this part because how many know his name was Peter? That's what people knew him as. But how many know grandma or mom or dad when they're mad or somebody who really at some moment or, 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 or some, a formal time or a time of showing that you really know that person, you, you pull out the whole name. And I love that Jesus says Simon Barjona because what he's doing is he's connecting to the personal Peter. Not just the Peter that everybody else knows. He says, you Simon Barjona, this has been revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. Because who knew Simon Barjona's name? The Father in heaven. The Bible says that God knows your name. That ought to get you excited right there. God knows your name. God knows all the hairs on your heads or the lacks thereof. Some are easier to count than others. Amen. God knows what you thought about yesterday. God knows what you're going to do tomorrow. God knows every detail of your life, and he wants you to know that, and he wants you to let him in and become personal with God. So flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. So a lot of people today are religious because flesh and blood has revealed it. That means that somebody has told somebody else about Jesus or about you about Jesus. So when somebody preaches Jesus to you, flesh is blood and blood is preaching to flesh and blood. But when someone gets saved, someone is born again, it's no longer flesh and blood. A revelation comes to your spirit. How many see that? Like I can literally have, a, have an altar call, and I can sit, I can hear a, a, an altar call, and I can raise my flesh and blood hand, and I can say, I believe. And I can get up out of my chair, and I can come down to an altar, and I can make a public confession in flesh and blood, visibly seen, that I believe Jesus Christ is Lord, and not believe it in my heart. Not have a revelation of spirit who Jesus is. That's why Nicodemus said, Jesus, how can I be saved? And he said, you must be born again. He says, how am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? No, he said, I'm not talking about a physical flesh and blood born again. I'm talking about a spiritual born again. You are already physically born. You don't need to be physically born again. You need to be spiritually born again. And so when the Spirit reveals to you, that's when you, you might ask this one, how do I know I'm saved? Because the Spirit has revealed it to you, and you don't just believe in an exterior way. You believe on the inside. And that's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about the private life. That's where you don't just believe in Jesus Christ at church or you don't just believe in Jesus Christ with your Facebook post. You don't just believe in Jesus Christ holding a Bible. You believe in Jesus Christ in your car by yourself in a traffic jam when you're mad and you're angry or your faith's being attacked. Then you still believe in Jesus at those moments. 
when you get bad news about a sick child, when you get bad news from the, from the bill collectors, when you get a, a situation where it gets heavy, when the demons of darkness are attacking you from every side, it's not about being together in a place like this and saying, I believe. It's about that moment, crying out to God and saying, Jesus, like Job said, though you slay me, I will trust you. Because I am born again, and I am a believer, not in what you can give to me, but what you've done in me. Has anybody had Jesus do that work in you? These disciples were seeing physical miracles. Easy for them to believe because they were seeing physical manifestations of God's power. They said, there's got to be something about this man. And that's what everybody else was saying. How come... Nobody else said, did you notice that when he asked that question, nobody said, well, I heard somebody say that you were the Savior, that you were the Messiah. Nobody said that. Some say you're Jeremiah, the prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. But none of those people who had seen a miracle had seen Jesus the Savior. So when you begin to see Jesus, the Savior, that's what really matters. And you begin to understand that he is a God who wants to reveal himself to us. Let's, close, let's finish this text here. It says, this is not, verse 17 again, been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who's in heaven. And then he goes on to say, and I want you to understand this is not just for Peter, it's for all of us. I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, here's what's interesting about this text. They're in Philip Caesarea. I told you a minute ago that they would connect everything to paganism and mythology. So there was actually a place at that moment where they were standing that was called the gates of hell. The reason was, is it was a river or a body of water coming out of a cave. And they believed that that water, that river, flowed from the underground and flowed from where people died and went and where the gates of hell were and where, de where, where, where uh, de demonic activity happened because they were into mythology. So he was saying, although you're standing here in a place of paganism, Although you're standing here and people all around you don't believe in who I say I am, I am who I say I am in the midst of paganism, in the midst of Greek mythology, in the midst of atheism, in the midst of religion, I am who I say I am. And he says, Peter, because this has been revealed to you, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell, or all thoughts, all religions, all demonic activity will not prevail against the truth of Jesus Christ. Against the truth of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and I will give you, and I want you to see this part, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. If you, if you got a, a new apartment and they gave you those keys, Especially if it was your first one. It wasn't very exciting. It didn't have to be a big apartment. They gave you those keys. And you, you got this smile inside, this happiness, and you said, these are my keys to my apartment. If you ever got a, 
a new vehicle. It doesn't have to be a brand new one. It could just be new to you. Get those keys. You think, this is my car. I don't have to ask for a ride no more. I can go open the door and start this thing up. And you get excited about having those. There's something powerful about keys. Go get a new house. Or maybe it's not new, but it's new to you. You get a house and you got keys. That realtor gives you those keys. You have power now in your hands. You have your own place. That's nothing compared to the keys that Jesus Christ has given us. That we have power now, not over the lock of a door on a, on a car or the lock of a door on a house. We have power over all principalities, over all powers, over all darkness, over all demons. We have the power to, to bind and to loose, the Bible says. And I got ahead of myself. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to talk to you just for a couple minutes this morning about one of the areas that I say he is. He's a miraculous God. He's a supernatural God. He, he's a God that wants to do, listen, wants to. If you're taking notes, say God wants to. He wants to show the miraculous. He wants to do the miraculous. Mark 2 Verse 10 to 12 says, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. That sentence right there, we could just take it home and just meditate on it for the rest of our lives and be happy. He has the power to give us forgiveness of sins. But then he says to this paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed and went out of the presence of them all. And I want you to see a word here that says, and all of them were amazed. So you hear me say the name, the word awesome a lot? That's, that's a cousin of amazed. Amazing and awesome are cousins, amen? Maybe brothers, twins. It's an awesome word. We sang that song this morning. He is awesome. He is awesome. And you know what awesome is? Awesome is amazing. You know what amazing is? It's awesome. You know what amazing and awesome are? Things people have never seen before. That's awesome. Like when you put that word on something, it's just no words describe it. Right? It's just a good word. That's amazing. That, that just baffles me. And then they said they glorified God. This is Mark 2, 12. And says we never saw anything like this before. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to live a life? I don't care about the past, but from this day forward, do you want to live a life where you begin to see things you've never seen before? You begin to see miraculous things, signs and wonders, supernatural things, things that can't be explained, things that give God glory, things that lift up his name. How many want to see that in your lives this morning? How many want to begin to see the supernatural and the miraculous and the amazing and have a testimony that says, this is what God did for me. Guess what? God wants you to have that more than you do. He does. Why? Because he gets glorified. So I want to tell a quick story. How many like stories? I'm not a good storyteller, but I'm going to do my best. And uh, I've probably shared this once in eight years we've been here, but I felt led this morning to do it with this, this supernatural part. And if you've heard it, maybe you'll hear it again. And, and don't tune me out. Amen. But I was just thinking, like, how many were here last Sunday when Pastor Bland preached? And he preached that message on hidden paths. 
and the unusual. You know, you hear a word and, and, and it speaks to you and you're like, you grab it. Now, I don't know about you, but you just grab it and say, that's mine. And he said that word unusual. We were at the altar call and I was standing over there and the Lord just spoke to me and, 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 and I put it in my text of myself and I remembered it and I've been saying it all week and I'm going to hold on to it. And it's just the unusual should be the normal. If you're serving God, who's an amazing God and an awesome God and a supernatural God, unusual things should be happening all the times in our life. It shouldn't be uh, every once in a while. We should be seeing the unusual or the amazing or the supernatural on a daily basis in our lives. Amen. Y'all believe that? And I thought back and I, start, I started thinking, man, you know what, if I really think about this, that's my testimony. Like I look back on some of the things, my, my, my mom used to tell me, and I've said this before, I should have wrote a book. I really should have wrote a book on all the things I've seen. And everybody has things they've seen. But I've seen, seen things that are unexplainable. And, and too many to even mention, but I want to just focus on a, a story of when we were leaving. I, think, I can't remember who, was, tell, who was, was I telling this to about the other day. Pastor, oh, it's Pastor Brian. We went to eat with them after a service, and, and I was telling them about it. So we're, we're in Costa Rica in 2008, and, and God has spoken to my heart to, to come back to, this, to the United States. And I'm praying one day, and he speaks. I, I would usually go to the church and, um, and pray every morning because I, I, I need to get out of where I'm at so I can pray good. That's just the way I am. I can't pray good at the house. Too many distractions. So I'd go to the church every day and pray, drive all the way. It was like 10 miles. And uh, 10 miles over there was an hour of driving because that's how long it would take. And here it's 10 minutes. And I'd get there and pray every morning. One morning I woke up, and I don't remember the reason, but I didn't go to church. And I was at home. So I went down to the living room, and I got on my knees, and I got on the couch, and I just started praying. And it wasn't even like a couple minutes into the prayer that God spoke and said, it's time to go home. Like just clear as it be, clear as could be. And home was here, States. So it was just real clear, and I kept praying, and all of a sudden, denting. Denting came into my spirit. Clear as a bell. So I went up to my wife upstairs, and I said, God just spoke to me. And she knows that when I say that, I don't say that all the time. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't tell me when to go to the bathroom. He doesn't tell me when to brush my teeth. He doesn't tell me, he, I, he, you know, big things. Like, he told me, and I said, God was speaking to me. She said, well, what did he say? He said, I think it's time to go home. I said, okay. So that was um, maybe December of 07. And so we start making plans, and we've got a house to sell, we've got cars to sell, we've got things to sell, and and uh, you know as you as you begin to make those plans, you begin to go against the deadline of time. And so we're we're getting ready, and I make the decision, and we begin to you know, just move in that direction. And so uh, we needed to sell our house, which was the biggest thing to get rid of. And you know everybody that's ever dealt with that knows how hard that can be, especially even in another country. And I remember this, this guy in my church, he was one of our disciples. He, he had gotten saved on the streets. Uh, I remember walking by him. This is part of the story, so, so don't, don't lose me on this. But we were walking by him on the street before he got saved and seeing him. He would always be drunk on the street. And, and when I, I'm talking, when I'm saying drunk, see, we're dignified drunks here in the United States. Over there, they just sleep on the streets. They, wherever they pass out, they're gone. And I remember seeing him all the time on the street, just be laying there out, bottle in his hand, just tongue hanging out, just out and dirty and stinky, and I'd see him all, so that, that was the, the Rodolfo I knew at that time. Well, he ended up coming into the church and getting saved and getting delivered and just totally changing his life, and then he would come to the morning prayer with me, 
and be up there at church. And, and, and one day after I had told him, he was like a son to me. He considered me his daddy. Then his dad had passed away, and he was like a son. He actually called me Papi. And he, was, he, he came up to me one morning and after I told him that I was going to leave. Now, that's not good for a son, right? Like, he looked at me as a father, and I told him, I'm going back to the States. He did not take that well. But a few weeks later, we're at church praying, and he comes up to me, and he says, I just had a vision. And, like, this is an ex-alcoholic, so, you know, I'm like, wow, this is going to be interesting. What did you see? You know? <laughs> Have you drinking lately? He's like, no, I had a vision, Pastor. I, I just pray, and I had a vision. And I said, what did you see? He said, a man is going to come and buy your house real soon. And he's going to come in a black truck, and he's going to be black. I said, okay. So I needed to sell my house. That's, that word sounded good. I'm not going to lie. I had a little bit of doubts. Not that there's not black people there, but it's not definitely not the majority. But I began from that moment forward going, okay, send me a black person, Lord. Where they at? And so I got calls, and they weren't black. And I was like, I didn't even give them no time of mind. Like, seriously, it's like, I know, it's, I just believe that word. But time went on, and nothing was happening, the house wasn't selling. We're getting about maybe three weeks to a month away from needing to leave. And, you know, when you're moving from another country, I don't know how many people have moved from another country. It is an expense that goes way beyond any expenses of moving inside the same country. We needed a lot of money. We needed miracle money. Amen. And so we're getting about three weeks away, I get a call. And there's down the street from our house, there's a furniture store. And this guy, and I know the name. You know, if you've driven by a lot of places, you know the name. So all of a sudden you hear the name, boom, okay, I knew the name, Mercado de Muebles, the, the furniture uh, factory. And he calls me and he says, hey, I'm interested in your house. So, of course, I got excited. I said, okay. And uh, he goes, I want to come see it right now. He says, I'm right down the street. I said, okay, come on. So he gets there and he drives in. And he, he goes, can I check out the house? I said, yeah. So we had like a, a long driveway, and uh, it was, it, God had blessed us with a beautiful Chalet home. Uh, Chris and Laura saw it when they went over there. Just, just beautiful, nice, a nice little land, quarter acre of land, had a little basketball court, really nice house. We loved it. We wish we could have brought it with us and just brought it on a, on a ship and just planted it here in Crumb somewhere, a singer. But we had to sell it. So he comes in, drives in, parks his car, starts walking around. He goes upstairs, goes downstairs. He's talking, he's looking, he's measuring, he's thinking. He, and, and so he goes, and here's the crazy thing. I, I, we needed to make $30,000 in that house. We were trying to sell it for $30,000 over what we owed. So he's walking around, he comes to me, he goes, I want, I, want to, I want to offer you something right now. I said, okay. He says, I'll take over your note. For your house, I have lawyers, I'm a businessman, I'll take over your note, and I'll give you $30,000 cash right now. That's a good offer. So, he was upstairs, we went downstairs, I took him outside, I said, let me go talk to my wife. So, I remember walking into the kitchen and saying, hey, this guy just offered us $30,000 cash. Just stand there, I'm going to stand here, and we're going to take about 10 minutes and act like we're talking about this. He did. Smiles on our faces. We just talked and looked. We weren't, we were, there was nothing to talk about. But we wanted to make it look like we were playing hardball. So I walked back out there with a straight face. 
like we were talking about it. You know, it's kind of a stretch for us, kind of difficult, but yeah, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take the faith. So they ended up buying the house. Here's the crazy thing. Remember the word I got? The unusual, the supernatural. He was not a black man by skin, but he drove in in an entirely black avalanche. Remember he said black truck? Was wearing black pants, a black shirt, and dark black hair. And that's the vision that my ex-alcoholic disciple had about our house. And they bought that house within a few days. Lawyers put everything together, and we had $30,000 cash in our hands. That's unusual. Right? That's, that's, that's not normal. But that's just the beginning of the story. So now we're a couple weeks away, and we still need to sell all of our furniture. We need to sell. I had an a, a, a old Nissan Pathfinder, like a 94 and my wife had a, a, a crazy, I don't remember what year it was, 2000 or something, uh, Altima. And that was worth about $8,000 that we, we didn't owe anything on that. Matter of fact, we didn't owe anything on either one of our cars. I love that. I love it. It's no payment for Austin. That was a good place to say amen. So we had $8,000 that we could get out of that car. And mine was about 4000 So between the house... And those, we're trying to come back with forty dollars to $50,000. We had a little bit of money saved up so we could start everything here. So we're two weeks away. We're doing a yard sale. And we're, we're pulling everything out. Uh, the, the girls were so helpful. Destiny would have been, uh, what's, 79? Kristen would have been 14, 13. So they're so helpful. They're helping us take everything out. And we got all the furniture out. And we're doing these yard sales. How many have ever done yard sales? And you want to sell the big stuff, the couches, the refrigerator, the oven, the money stuff, and everybody comes to the garage sale and buys your plates, your glasses, the little things. All the little things go first. You're like, great, we have 50 bucks and all this furniture we can't take. That was happening for two weeks in a row, getting two weeks away now from leaving. I'm talking about leaving. We had a date to leave. Plane tickets bought. We still have all this furniture in these cars. So it's about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The sun's going down, and I told the girls, let's just start packing up. We started packing stuff up, taking stuff inside, and all of a sudden this car pulls up, and the guy gets out, and he says, I want to look at your Pathfinder. So he ended up driving my Pathfinder around, and he came back, and he's like, all right, what else do you got? And I said, we got a lot of stuff. So let's go see. So he walks in. He starts walking around the house and looking around. He goes, oh, I like that bed. He goes, oh, I like that couch. Ooh, nice fridge. Oven. So he's just walking through the house. He gets down to me and he says, he says, um, I'm gonna buy everything in your house. One person. <laughs> One person. After all these people had come in and looked at the stuff, you know, people keep coming like at first you're excited, like, yeah. And then after a while they look and you're like, Yeah, it's the couch, it's the fridge. Yeah, we got that. You know, you don't care no more. You're done selling. Well, I was done selling. He's like, How much you want for the bed? I'm like, uh, uh. Is the fridge work? Yeah. I was the way I was at that moment. And all of a sudden he says, I want to take, I want to buy everything in your house. Now here's the craziest part of an unusual story. The weekend before, Kristen and I had gone to a little tiny pueblito, a little city, just about five minutes from the house that had the most amazing, is anybody ready for lunch? The most amazing Chinese food in the world in Costa Rica. I'm sorry, I could taste it right now. I'm talking about the most amazing Chinese food ever. 
And we could go, and for $10, we could all eat together. And we like to eat together. So we went there often to get this Chinese food. So me and Carla got in Carla's car, went up, you know, called ahead, picked it up, got in the car, came up to this four-way stop in her car. And I look, you know, look both ways, and I start pulling out. This is like, you know, it'd be like at the square. Picture the square here, Denton Square, where a lot of people are, four-way stops. Um, and all the cities had those. Catholic Church sitting right there, and businesses. Pull out, and all of a sudden I see red and blue flashes. And this, this, just this flash just flies and hits the car. I see a person fly in the air. Granted, this was two weeks before we're leaving. A guy fly. That's not good. When, you, when something hits your car and something flies, and then you realize it's a person, it's not good, ever. Guess, guess what? It was a police officer. But the police officer is not the one that flew. The guy was on his motorcycle, and he flew. And Chris is my witness. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Hit my side and got pinned under the car, the policeman. Getting in a wreck's bad enough. When you get in a wreck with a police officer, it compounds it way more. So I stop, put the, put the thing in park. Me and Kristen are both freaking out. And I get out, and the cop is pinned under my car. And the other dude's laying on the ground over there. And now everybody in the square is around my car. And what am I thinking? What am I thinking? I'm going to jail. Yeah, I'm not going to the states to start a church. I'm going to do jail ministry. That's the first thing I thought. Honestly, I did. That's the only thing I could think of. I'm going to jail. I just hit a cop. I'm done. And then the second thing that hit me was I can't sell this car no more. There went $8,000. And then the next thing that went is when you're in another country and you get in a wreck, you can't leave. You can't leave the country. I couldn't leave. That's, it's that serious. You get in a wreck, they put a thing against your, against your passport, and you cannot leave the country. And when I say things are slow, it would have take, taken two years for that to be dealt with. All these things are going through my mind two weeks before we leave. Crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm, it was bad, huh, Kristen? It was bad. She's 14. She's freaking out. Glass everywhere. The car's jacked up. Dude's on the ground. Police officers under my car still. I don't know what's going to happen. But God. Yeah, y'all know. Hey, I'm here, so you know you know this story's going to go good. I'm, I'm not in jail. So we, we, everything begins to calm down. The Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, remember this. That, by, that man should not, I don't care what country you're in, that man should not have been on that cop bicycle or motorcycle. I mean, some, some rules are just common sense in any country. I thought, that man should not have been on that, on that motorcycle. So when the cop, other cops came, they got him out and everything, and everything started to calm down. News came. The news showed up. Yeah, American hits a cop. Yeah. So the news shows up. Every, everything's great. Police officers are taking the report, and I said, look, that, that man had, that police officer had a man on the back of his bike, and he should not have had that man. And when I began to say that, the Holy Spirit reminded me to say, their whole direction of probably taking me to jail changed because they knew that that man shouldn't have been on that thing either. What had happened was someone had stole that man's wife's purse right down the street. He had The cop had said, jump on my motorcycle, and they were chasing the robber down the street. 
So he jumped on the motorcycle, and the robber was, you know, that way. And, and, and the reason it came out of nowhere is because they came out of nowhere. They weren't on the street. They were on the sidewalk. And they literally came off the sidewalk and hit my car. And so all the legalities of the cop part and that kind of worked itself out as far as me going to jail. I still got a ticket, and my car still had a lien on it, and I still wasn't going to be able to leave. So we got home, and we were distraught. Two weeks from coming home, two weeks from tickets that are already bought waiting for us. And, and so that happened before this man shows up at my house. So he walks through my house and says, I want all your furniture. And then he starts walking out to leave, and he goes and looks over at my head, open garage, and he sees my wife's car, and he says, what's that? It's going to get crazier. He says, what's that? I said, that's my wife's car. You, I can't sell it, though. It's wrecked. That's exactly how I said it. He said, let me see it. Who goes and looks for wrecked cars? Like, that don't even make it. Why would you, like, it's wrecked. Okay, thanks. See it. Oh, let me see it. Okay. He walks over there. I mean, like, the, the left fender's destroyed. The hood's destroyed. There's marks. It's, 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 it's probably three or $4,000 worth of damage on the car. But it started. So he's like, let me have your keys. He starts up, and he's just checking out the car for a while. So he goes, okay, well, I'm going to buy all this. And he says, I'm going to call you tomorrow and make you an offer on the, on the car, which is crazy anyways, right? So he leaves, and this is how it begins to end. I get a call the next day. I don't remember his name because I think his name is Angel. Angel. To me, he was an angel. He calls me and says, hey, I'm going to come by and buy, get the furniture today, but I want to make an offer on that car. And he goes, I'll give you, and I'm thinking, $500. If I wasn't a pastor and my daughters weren't here, you wouldn't believe me. Guess how much he offered for my car? $8,000 for a wrecked car, which is what the car was worth. And that's not it. He says, I want to buy the car for $8,000. And I'm not arguing, but I'm like, oh, okay. He says, I'm going to talk to my lawyers, and I'm going to put everything into place, and I'm going to put the car in my name, and I'm going to fix the lien against you so you can leave the country. Serious, unusual, supernatural, unbelievable, miraculous. I'm trying not to cry on the phone. I'm trying to say, is this real? Am I, am I hearing things? What do you do when someone offers you what the car's worth that's wrecked with a lien on it and you're supposed to be in jail? That was not all. He comes and, and buys the car, takes it away. Drives, drives it off, all blah, 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 you know, drives away, gives me the money. And before we left, invited me and my wife and family over to his house for dinner. He had this beautiful house. I mean, he made us fish. They had like this pond out there. It was, I don't know how much you remember of, it, of the house. So you remember that. The house, the food, and they just blessed us and, and fed us and, and just, just, you know, we hope you have a good trip back. And it didn't make any sense. And all that happened in two weeks to be able to come to Denver to start this church. 
Because that, that's just one story that if you, if you don't believe in the miracle God that we serve, you wouldn't believe that's possible. Amen? Musicians, you can come. See, I believe that that's the kind of thing that God wants to do in us. Something that you, that like seriously, as I was telling you that story just now, I, I almost feel stupid telling it to you because it's so ridiculous. It's really ridiculous, isn't it? Who does that? Nobody does that. Nobody buys broken deals but God. And so when someone says, Jesus says, who do you say I am? I say you're miraculous. I say you're supernatural. I say that you know all the details that I'm going through in my life. To the, do you realize that the guy said, do you, are, have you caught that yet? Let's just forget it was wrecked. Let's just forget it had to go get lawyer stuff done on it. How in the world did the guy offer me the amount that I'm asking? Never talked about a price. He could have said 5000 He could have said 7000 he could have said $7,500, but he said $8,000 to the quinto. That man who all of a sudden, and let me tell you something. What I really want you to understand this morning is the story sounds great when it's over, but it's not fun when you're in it. It's fun to tell it now because I'm here. It's fun to tell it now because the wreck's over. But when you're two weeks away from leaving the country and you wreck with a police officer, that's not fun. You're two weeks away and you have tickets bought and no one's buying your house. That's not fun. But, but you got to learn. This is what I want you to get. you got to learn to trust God. And, and, and you might be going through an unusual situation. Maybe you're going through an unusual situation with your kids. Maybe you're going through an unusual situation in your marriage. Maybe at your job, some unusual things are happening right now. Some weird things that don't make sense are going on. Maybe whatever you're facing is just unusual. If, that, if, you, if you've just been saying, this is weird, this doesn't make sense, this is, if you've been saying that, I want to give you some good news. That's how God works. He works in unusual ways. And I want you to write this verse down, Isaiah 55. I gave this to a lady in our church that the Lord spoke to me. It's been one of my go-tos for a long time. It's not going to give you the answer. It's not going to get, see, sometimes when we're in church and we're in a battle, we want someone to tell us, do A, B, C. God don't work like that. But he'll give you the answer, and the Holy Spirit will give you the ABCs. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11. And the gist of it is this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, but what he says is, basically, my ways are better. And this situation might seem crazy right now, and it might seem like, like I'm not moving, it might seem like I'm not involved, it might seem like I've, I've gone on vacation, but I'm working, I'm working right now, and sometimes it's at the 11th hour. Sometimes it's at 11.59. Sometimes it's when you just about gave up and said, there's no way I'm going to sell this house and you get a call from someone down the street. I drove by that every day. Every day the buyer of my house is just sitting there, right there, called, boom, buys it one day. And not he didn't offer me 20. 
He didn't offer me 25. He offered me exactly what I was asking for. We, one thing that I challenge myself on, and I'm not good at it, I want to be better, and I still struggle with it, is being more specific with God. Being more specific with God. Amen? How many want to get to that place where you're more specific with God? You say, Lord, I need this. I'm believing for this. I'm believing for you to do something supernatural. So I, I tell you this this morning because I want your faith to rise. I want you to begin to believe that God can do the unusual. This today is, who do you say that I am? I say that you're a supernatural, unusual, miraculous God who loves to see his kids express faith. Loves to see his kids say, I believe God. I believe God. I believe you can do anything. What did Jesus say in Mark? He said, this is impossible with man. But with God, what's possible? And what does all mean? Everything. All things, Mark 10, 27, are possible with God. And I want you to write one last verse down before we pray. Because sometimes we still think, well, all but, right, aren't we good at that? Everything but, but God, this, you know, 9 out of 10 ain't bad. So I don't believe God wants to be a 9 out of 10 God. I believe God wants to be 10 out of 10. It's never God that's lacking. It's us. It's never God that fails. It's us. So as you bow your heads this morning, I want to pray for you this morning, and I want to connect my faith and what I've seen God do in my life with your situation today. But you know what it is. You know what you've been praying for. You know the miracle you need today. You know the situation you're facing. And I pray and hope, and I want you to know that as you're praying there and you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't love me any more than he loves you. He doesn't love anybody else more than he loves anybody. He loves us all the same. The Bible says he's not a respecter of persons. The only difference, listen as you're praying there, the only difference is it's never God, and it's never that he loves somebody more than others. What moves God is faith. It's faith. Jesus always said when he was going to heal somebody, he said, according to your faith, let it be done. He said, your faith has made you whole. I want you to know that whatever situation you're facing this morning, the power of God is already there. It's basically like you're holding a plug in your hand that's a machine that fixes the thing you need to be fixed, and all you got to do is plug it in and the power starts. It's there. Faith plugs it in. That, that, that machine can do all the things it needs to do spiritually, but if you don't plug it in, there's no power. God's power's there. It's, the, it's in the electrical source. It's in the wall. You just have to plug your faith in. And God will move. How many this morning all over this place could say, you know what, I, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to, to be Lord of my life. I, I feel like I'm here and I'm that person you're talking about that knows about him, but I don't know him. I've heard about him. I've even heard stories. I, I even believe, but I haven't had that revelation that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is my salvation.
He became sin for me so that I could be saved. If you've never done that this morning, today, the Bible says, is your day of salvation. If that's you, would you be honest with God this morning, no matter what age you are, no matter how long you've been coming to church, no matter what you've come from, no matter what you've done, would you just say to God, I need that this morning, Jesus. I want to give you lordship of my life. How many would just quickly raise their hands and say, that's me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I need Jesus. I need a revelation. I want to confess him this morning that he's Lord of my life. How many more? I need Jesus this morning. I want to be saved. Maybe you're here and you have said that prayer. You have accepted Christ into your life at one point in your life. But this morning, life itself has caused you to doubt. Situations have caused your faith to waver. Or maybe you've just gotten disobedient in your spirit and you're running from God this morning. And, and you know he's never stopped loving you. But you've been disobedient. You've been doing things that you know you shouldn't do. You've been ignoring his voice. He's been knocking on the door of your heart today. You need to say, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. How many would say, that's me? Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. God bless you. That's me. God bless you. That's the prayer I did. That's the prayer I did. I knew I was running from God. I knew I needed to come back to him. As we stand this morning, I want to just quickly ask you to do one more thing. I really believe the Lord's touching some hearts this morning. This is the reason the church exists, to be a... I want you just to picture back again real quickly as we close to that Chinese video we saw. 120 degree weather, raising their hands, lifting their hands, crying unto God, crying unto Jesus. Why? Because he changes people. He's not religion. He's, he's not an ABC. He's a God who loves you right where you're at. You might be here saying, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know the things I've, I've made mistakes on. You don't know the sins I've done. You don't know how far I've gone. You don't know the words I've said. And listen, I, you could say that all day long. And God will still sit there and say, and I still love you right where you're at. And I still died. And he says, yeah, go ahead, keep talking. He says, go ahead, keep talking. I know everything you're telling me. I died for it. I took it on my body that day on the cross so you could be forgiven for it. Now you got to do is confess it to me. All you got to do is put your faith in me and I'll forgive you. And I'll give you a new life. If you raise your hand for salvation or rededication this morning, I want you just to quickly, without hesitating, step out of your seat and come down here right now. Don't wait for someone else to move. Just step out. Just come down and say, today's my day. Quickly, all over this place. Several hands went up. Amen. Come on, quickly. Let's, let's pray, church. Don't, don't miss out on this. You, you say, I can, I can get saved at my chair. You're right. But if you can't step out in front of believers, how are you going to step out in front of a world that's lost? You'd be ashamed this morning. Amen. Just step out. I'm going to wait just a minute. I believe there's some more hands. Praise God. God's touching your heart. He's speaking to you right now. He's speaking to your heart right now. I'm going to give just a few more moments. Let's begin to sing a song real quick. And as they do, I just want to wait. I really believe that there's someone's dealing with somebody this morning. Somebody's dealing with God's knocking. Don't let pride defeat you. Don't let pride keep you in your seat this morning. Amen. Just come. Just come.
out of this place this morning and died, would you go to heaven? Would you make heaven your home? Would you be saved? Would you be right? Would you be, be standing in, in good standing with God this morning? Come on. Come on. Come on, let's help him. Come on, let's help him. Let's help him. Come on. Amen. Best decision you'll ever make in your life. Best decision you'll ever make in your life. Amen. Tito, will you come stand by Thank you, Jesus. As they're singing, you need a supernatural miracle today. I want you to come down to this altar, and I'm going to connect faith with you. You've been believing for something. You need an unusual touch this morning. Just find a place at the altar. I want to pray with you this morning. Just come down. Just come find a place and say, Lord, I'm going to believe right now for you to move in this situation that I'm praying for. Hallelujah. Who do you say that I am? He says. Who do you say God is? Who do you say God is? Who do you say that God is this morning? I say he's a miracle worker. I say he's supernatural. I say he's unbelievable. I say he does things that are amazing and awesome. You're good. Good father. About it. He's a good father. He's a good father this morning. He's a merciful
of what you're going through, regardless of what you're feeling. You're a good, good father, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're perfect in all your ways. Say this prayer with me, everybody in this place. Lord Jesus, you're a miracle-working God. The biggest miracle there is, is a person coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That you came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, shed your blood, paid my price of sin for me. Then you rose from the dead and you conquered death, hell and the grave. And you rose again, you descended into heaven. And you're praying for me right now at the right hand of the Father. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. He who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord praise. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.